What's up, everybody? Welcome to another episode of High on Infinity, the podcast dedicated to everything sports and nerd culture. I am your host, Jacob Knight. Today, we got an action-packed episode. Today, we talk about the Black Widow trailer, Michael B. Jordan is Superman, the new Batman game, and college football talk. We're previewing the college football championship games. We're going to talk about the Iron Bowl a little bit and who I think is going to be in the Final Four after this weekend. So sit back, relax, and enjoy the show. Yes, yes, yes. It's that time of the week again. High on Infinity, the podcast dedicated to everything sports and nerd culture. I am your host, Jacob Knight. And like always, your first time listening to the podcast. Welcome to the podcast. And if you're a returning listener, we're glad to have you back. We've got a great episode lined up for you today. I just want, first things first, I just want to say, hope everybody's having a great work week, great school week. You know, I know this week kind of tough because it's the first... It's the first full work week back since Thanksgiving break. I know a lot of us, including myself, have Thursday through Saturday, Thursday through Sunday off. Now we're back to a full work week, but we're going to muscle through this week and get ready for the weekend. But let's jump into these topics for today. First, we're going to talk about the first trailer for the first movie of Phase 4 in the Marvel Cinematic Universe. Yes, we're talking Black Widow, and it was released early Tuesday morning. Emphasis on the word early. I want to say around like 4 a.m., because I, I, I wake up to go to work at 5. Usually when I wake up, I just, you know, just scroll through, you know, Facebook for like five ten, five ten minutes. Just, you know, just to wake up, then, you know, get ready, uh you know, shower and stuff and get ready to go to work. And because, uh you know, I just woke up, I was half asleep when I watched this trailer. So I had to watch it a couple more times when I got home from work just to, you know, just to get the full effect of the trailer. And this is going to be a different Marvel movie, in my opinion, because usually all... MCU movies help build towards something later down, later on in the future. And I'm curious because how will this movie build towards the future when Black Widow isn't going, isn't going to be around to see these events, you know, because you know, of her death in Endgame. And it's confirmed that this movie will take place between, end, not Endgame, Infinity War and Civil War. So about that 2016 to 18 range, because that's like a two, it's a two-year gap between those movies and one way i could tell that this movie is set during that time because of black widow's hairstyle you know and uh and thinking um in uh civil war her hair was like a maroonish color and before she went blonde in affinity war and this movie will serve as somewhat of a backstory to this character probably because black widow is probably the most mysterious character in the mcu because there's little to nothing we know about her other than her changing hairstyles all we got was this flashback scene in Age of Ultron, that's somewhat of a backstory. In that flashback scene, we we see Natasha going into a room, which assumingly was her during the Black Widow training program. And when she died in Endgame, I think when she when they were just trying to, you know, when, when she died, they were trying to like gather their thoughts and just trying to like kind of just comprehend what's happening. They asked, they asked that she had any family, and someone said, you know, the only family she had was you know the the superhero group, you know, Cap, Tony, Hawkeye, Hulk, Nick Fury, Thor. And, um, and yeah, and, but in this film, we're introduced to her, I guess her past family. Um, I don't know like what's the correct term to use for them, but, but watching the trailer, the trailer looks, looks like it starts off right after civil war where black widow looks like to be on the run from the law because, you know, she helped Captain America violate the rules of the Sokovia Accord back in civil war. But black widow says in the trailer, she says, I'm tired of running from my past. So she goes back home. I assume Russia and then I can think of one of the first scenes she enters an apartment and her and this woman get into a fight. And after the fight ends in a stalemate, she says, you know, it's good to see you too, sis. And I'm like, is this a real sister? Because, 
you know, Black Widow has, she doesn't have a Russian accent, but the woman in the film had a heavy Russian accent. And I assume this is her sister that she met in the Black Widow program. And there are multiple Black Widows in this movie. And then uh, you meet the other two members of her quote unquote family. You meet another Black Widow. Then we meet the Red Guardian. And I'm excited to see the Red Guardian. Not be To be honest, I don't know nothing about the Red Guardian. I'm just excited because the actor that plays the Red Guardian plays Hopper on Stranger Things. And y'all know how I am about Stranger Things. But he's basically described, uh, the Red Guardian is basically described as a Russian Captain America. I assume he's been in jail or held captive for a number of years because in a scene in the trailer, he has, you know, full-blown beard and he puts his old suit on and he says it still fits. So I assume, like I said, he's been in jail or been captive for a number of years. And and when he gets it, he's like, oh, it still fits. I assume you're going to gain a little weight over that time. But like, like I said, just... Over the course of the trailer, you see normal trailer stuff. You see fight scenes, car chases, and it shows uh, the Red Guardian in action for the first time. And the Red Guardian seems to be like a, a different type of fighter than Captain America. But when Cap fight, fights in the movies, you know, he's trying to hit you, block your hits, and dodge your hits. And Red Guardian is more like a... I, I describe him more as a tank, you know, in the, you know, he's, he's a big stocky guy in the trailer. And he's more the type of fighter to be like, hey, you can hit me. I'm going to hit you back even harder. And we got our first look at the villain of the movie, Taskmaster. Assuming the main antagonist of the film, he I assume he's hired to hunt down Black Widow and her crew, and that's why she assembled them to fight back against him. But Taskmaster, I think I explained to him in the past when the movie was first announced, but you know, just to refresh people's memories, he's more he's basically a mercenary. He usually plays the villain in the comics, and he's most uh known for his photographic memory. He can mimic fighting styles of his opponent while fighting them. He has like the martial arts skills of Iron Fist, the marksman of Hawkeye and Punisher on the toughness of Captain America. And he has a vast knowledge of weapons. Usually in the comics, his weapon, his main source of weapons are guns, shield, you know, a shield like Captain America, a sword, and a bow and arrow like Hawkeye. And we get a first look at him in the trailer and in, in, in you know in this trailer, but the look, I ain't gonna lie, it, it, it kind of has to grow on me. I'm not a big fan of the look at the moment. Because he looks more like a Power Ranger villain in this in this movie, and uh, his mask usually in the comics his mask usually resembles a skull with a hood with a hood on his head. But in the trailer his 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 helmet is like half half skull helmet, half motorcycle helmet. Hopefully, um, you know, because you know some iterations they can't use a you know a skull as the mask, but he has like some some form of a skull mask and his eyes glow. So hopefully that being the in the film because the concept art of Taskmaster looked really good when the film was first announced. And I would assume, I assume they're going to do that trope where the villain comes and then, you know, the first encounter when they fight the hero, the villain is defeated. Then it comes back, you know, you know, like upgraded. So I assume that would, ha I assume that would happen in the film that that may happen in the film. Uh, but also in the trailer, you know, as the trailer go goes on, a uh, black widow says like, she. Uh, they have to go back to where it all started. I assume they're going to go back to the Black Widow training program. And you see a scene of a group of future Black Widows working on, like, fighting techniques. And towards the end of the trailer, uh, they de they debuted an all-white Black Widow suit. I'm not going to lie. I'm digging it. I, th I think it looks really cool. Uh, you know, the all-white uh, aesthetic. But my overall thoughts of the trailer, I thought it was a good trailer. Showed just enough to get your interest, but didn't show too much to spoil anything. And there are rumors that Tony Stark may make a cameo in this. He maybe wants to ask Black Widow, you know, I, hell, what the hell happened at the airport? Because remember, in Civil War, Black Widow was on Tony's side. And towards the end of the fight, she helped um, 
Cap and Bucky escape by para not paralyzed by uh, stunning stunning Black Panther long enough for them to escape on the jet uh, to go. I can't remember where they're going, but basically she helped them escape. So he's probably gonna call like, "What the hell happened at the airport? I thought you was on my side." But Black Widow is going to be the first. I mean, well, Black Widow is going to add on to already stacked 2020 in comic book movies. And to me, 2020 is the year of women in comic book films because we got the Birds of Prey, all-female cast. We have Wonder Woman, a female lead. The Eternals, a female leader. And Black Widow, you know, another female lead. And this film is going to come out May 1st, 2020. And this is probably the first trailer or maybe two or maybe three trailers going to be released. I assume one more trailer is going to be released in May. Just to, you know, may, may add a little more stuff. Hopefully show Taskmaster and Black Widow fighting uh, a little bit. So maybe yes, yeah, expect one more trailer around Marchish, uh, like I said. And overall, I'm excited for this film. You know, first film, first you know, first film in almost a year since uh, Endgame. And I'm just curious on what this film will add to the Marvel Cinematic Universe because, um, you know, because Black Widow isn't going to see the you know possibly won't see the after effects of this film. And I'm wondering, is this film just going to be a one-off because, you know, Black Widow uh, died and will the other characters in this movie appear in future MCU movies? But, uh, you know, we won't know until the movie come out, but I will keep you guys updated on the latest from this movie and future Marvel movies yet to come. Okay, so DC Films has been making news quite a lot lately. You have the Joker movie reaching a billion dollars at the box office. You have the Joker sequel confusion that I talked about last week. You have The Rock announcing the release date for Black Adam. And there's a rumored trailer for the next Wonder Woman uh, film, Wonder Woman 1984, supposed to come out next week. And the DC film universe seems to be on the up and up. Of course, you know, I praise Wonder Woman. Aquaman and Shazam got great reviews. Still got to see those movies. And you have two films being released in 2020 with Birds of Prey coming out in February and Wonder Woman 1984 coming out in June. You have three releases coming out in uh, 2021 and a couple more in 2022. So the DC film feature is bright. It's nice to see DC finally find its footing. Um, but this is life, and when there's highs, there's lows. And the DC film universe started off a little rocky. Man of Steel got mixed reviews. Batman vs. Superman and Justice League were critically panned. And in my opinion, I thought Justice League was okay, but Batman on Superman, Batman vs. Superman on paper sounded good, but the execution was off. And with poor execution, changes had to be made. Uh, ben Affleck stepped down. From the Batman role earlier this year, uh, he was be he was being replaced by Robert Pattinson. It was a solo Batman film coming out in 2021. Superman, on the other hand, is kind of tricky. So wait, last, I don't can't remember if it was late last year or early this year. Warner Brothers wanted to move on from the current Superman actor Henry, Henry Cavill. Cavill. I was supposed to look at the pronunciation of his name. Uh, but naturally, we thought since the studio you know, wanted to change that that Henry was out. But Henry uh, Cavill, Cavill, uh, he never stated that he was done with the role, but he still wants to play Superman in future films. I don't, I wouldn't know, like, how would this work out? Because he is starring in a new Netflix Witcher series, which premieres uh, later on this month. Uh, and it's already greenlit for season two. And it's rumored that the show was booked for seven seasons already. But at the end of the day, the studio writes the check, so they're going to more than likely move on from him as Superman. So who should be the new Superman? All the names were brought up, but one name clearly stuck out to me the most, and that name is Michael B. Jordan. 
Uh, yes, he's most known for his roles in The Wire, uh, Friday Night Watch, the TV show, the Creed series, and most, famous, most famously playing Killmonger in a Black Panther film. And after his name was brought up, um, things went quiet for a few months until last week, articles circulated that Michael, now Michael B. Jordan actually met with Warner Brothers Studios earlier this year to discuss the possibility of playing Superman in future films. When I saw this article, you know, intrigued me, so I shared it just to get some feedback on what people would, uh, you know, think. And overall, got positive feedback. You know, got a lot of heart reactions. So I assume I don't know if because people like Superman or people like Michael B. Jordan. I assume more toward people liking Michael B. Jordan. Um, but like always, changing the race of an established superhero, uh, Superman being the most established of all, it's a it's a slippery slope. And I like Michael B. Jordan as an actor and a person. You know, he's a big anime fan. And I praise his role in Killmonger and been championing the hot take that I think he was a better villain than Loki in the MCU. And but I know they're going to be that that group of people. Uh, let me get my closed minded conservative voice. But Michael B. Jordan is black, but Superman's white. Uh, but without bringing up race, I just like someone to explain to me why, why Michael B. Jordan wouldn't be a good Superman. It doesn't matter what color the actor is, as long as, as long as he or she plays that role good. And to be honest, this is the most interesting. This is the most interest I have in Superman as a movie character in a long time because I'm not the biggest Superman fan. Superman, he's just not my cup of tea to me. He's just, you know, he's overpowered. Um, some people, you know, some people gravitate to certain heroes because they're relatable. Take Spider-Man, for example, my favorite superhero. He's relatable. He's just a regular guy outside the suit. He's not the biggest. He's not the strongest, the fastest, you know, but Superman, the opposite is everything. He's just one big overpowered man whose weakness is green meth. But maybe Michael B. Jordan will bring something different to the role if he plays it. In a recent interview, he addressed these rumors. He said he's interested in playing Superman, but not the Clark Kent version. He said he was interested in playing the Calvin Ellis version, the Superman Earth, uh, of Earth 23, who's a black Superman. And this is my first time, you know, I didn't know there was a black Superman until I, you know, did my research for this. But yes, he wanted to play uh, the Superman Earth 23 uh, uh, because DC is best known for their multiverse. And with their, and with this, there could be two Superman, probably Michael B. Jordan, and Henry Cavill's Superman, because Spider-Man Into the Spider-Verse showed that you can't have success by introducing the minority incarnation of said superhero. But it looks like Warner Brothers wants to be done with Cavill's Superman, but nothing seems to be set in stone yet, because according to Variety Magazine, Warner Brothers met with Jordan earlier this year, but the actor was... Uh, so, you know, so the actor could share his vision of the role for Superman in the future form. But however, he was... Um, was that was sounded like to be a good meeting... Jordan Jordan reportedly was not ready to commit to the role of Superman yet because uh, Warner Brothers lack a commitment to the character. And I kind of understand where he's coming from because in a relationship, no matter if it's romantic, friendly, or business, it's a 50-50 deal. In, in, Michael, um, in Michael's eyes, he wants to put his all into the role, you know, that scheduling time, canceling other acting endeavors, or training, you know, to put you know, the, the physical part a Superman, you know, what's the point of doing all that if the studio is going to make it their top priority? Because if this movie came out within the next two, you know, one to two years, it will be different. But as of now, DC is booked up for the next three years. In 2020, you have Birds of Prey, Wonder Woman 1984. 2021, you have Batman, Suicide Squad reboot, and Black Adam. 2022, I think there, it hasn't been confirmed yet, but more than likely it's going to be Shazam 2, Aquaman 2, and the Flash, and, and, and if cast in this role, we won't be seeing Superman 
another Superman film until 2023 at earliest. And the fans like to seem to like this idea of him as Superman because, because Superman is one of those characters that needs like a, like a you know, like a, a jolt of energy, you know, to make the character more, you know, you know, you know they're like, they're like to revamp it, make it, uh, you know what I mean. He needs a he needs a needs a need to change it up a little bit. But hope things will work out, and we'll see him added to the DC universe. Uh, now the DC universe happened to find his footing, so hopefully they can work things out, and we can see you know Michael B. Jordan Superman in the next what three four years. Okay, I did look at the pronunciation of his name is Henry Cavill. He's a British actor. But moving on, Batman is arguably the most popular superhero of all time. His popularity spans across all forms of media. You have comics, live action movies, animated movies, live action TV shows, animated TV shows, clothing, memes, and even mentioning rap songs. But over the last decade, Batman's popularity has spawned a highly successful video game franchise. The Batman Arkham series consists of four games. You have the original trilogy, Batman Arkham Asylum, Batman Arkham City, and Arkham Knight. And three very good video games, Arkham City being mentioned as one of the greatest video games ever made. And you have Arkham Origins, which is the prequel to the series. And Arkham Origins was okay to me. It came out around the time where, where like the, you know, where the last gen consoles and the new gen consoles were about to be released. And I, I, I remember buying it for the Xbox 360. And the game was great. The cutscenes were amazing, but the game kept freezing on me because I assume they made it with next gen technology and trying to put it on a current console. It was like, you know, it's like trying to run in, you know, it's like having a Microsoft 10 running on an older Microsoft laptop. It's, it's just not going to work. But the Arkham Origins series, but the Arkham Origins game overall received mixed reviews, mainly because the main developer, Rockstar Studios, didn't work on the game because Rockstar partnered with Warner Brothers Games Montreal. On the first three games, and Rocksteady taking you know, the lion's share of the of the work, but uh, WB Games Montreal did work on the Arkham Origins game alone. And the last game, Arkham Knight, was released in 2015. So we're almost we're going almost five years waiting on a new Batman game until recent articles uh, arose about a new Arkham game being announced this month. And this news was broken by a very a very reliable video game journalist. I'm. I forgot to write their name down, but I am giving them credit that, you know, you know, they they were the first to break this story. And also the WB Montreal account between cryptic images hinting at a new Arkham game. But news about this game has been under lock and key. Uh, the game will be announced at the Video Game Awards on December 12th. And the, the reliable source uh, did say that they did re report two major details about the game. Uh, the first detail is uh, the game is rumored to be called batman arkham wedge i mean arkham legacy because in this game you get to play as members of the batman family and a group of the bat you know group the batman family is a group of batman closest allies uh you know based on the dc rebirth uh series uh the current members are batman wonder woman batgirl cat uh not wonder woman uh let me start over batman batwoman Batgirl, Catwoman, Nightwing, you know, Dick Grayson of the first Robin, the Red Hood, Jason Todd, second Robin that was assumedly killed by the Joker. Uh, you have Red Robin, Tim Drake, that's the third Robin. And you have the current Robin, uh, Damian Wayne, Bruce Wayne's son. But in past games, you get to play as other characters besides Batman because in Arkham City, 
you first start off by playing as Catwoman, and in the Harley Quinn Revenge DLC, you uh, play majority of the game as Robin. And the like in the arena battle mode, you get to play in all the Arkham games. You get to play as Batman, Robin, Nightwing, or Catwoman. And the second detail of this game is the main villain will be the Court of Owls. Who are the Court of Owls? The Court of Owls are, are fairly new to the Batman universe, uh, being introduced in October 2011. And I th just think of them as kind of like Gotham's version of the Illuminati. Uh, they're described as a secret society that pulls its strings from the shadows using expert assassins named Talons and enormous wealth, all while wearing owl masks to hide their identities. And once Batman unraveled this conspiracy that dates back to the colonial era, he becomes their primary target. Being in Origins, um... You know, in, in Origins Asylum in Arkham City, the main villain was a Joker. And and after his death in Arkham City, the Arkham Knight, which would the later to be revealed as Jason Todd, is, is the you know the second Robin. So when killed by the Joker, was the main villain in Arkham Knight. And um, because all these games, uh, instead of but what makes this one different because the main villain is not being a singular villain, is a villainous organization. And the Arkham games always had more than one villain. Uh, Batman has the deepest rogues, rogues gallery in comics. And these games always had a great... They, 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 did, they did a great by shining light on the lesser-known villains of the Batman universe. You know, you have your big villains like the Joker, Penguin, Poison Ivy. And you get your smaller villains they introduce like Professor Pig, the Mad Hatter, and the Calendar Man. And the game is heavily, heavily to be... Like I said, the game is heavily rumored to be announced later this month. Judging by the reliable source who reported it, the details, you know, you could take this to the bank. But no word if Rocksteady will have a hand in this. Judging that they worked on a last game, maybe they'll be back. And lastly, I assume there'll be a time jumping from Arkham Knight to this game because you'll be able to play as uh, Bruce Wayne's son, Damien. Uh, so I assume Damien will be probably like 14 or 16 when he plays Robin. So I assume, uh, you know, it's going to take place someplace, you know, down the line. But uh, in a couple of weeks, we'll probably have more news. More likely, if the game is announced, I'm going to uh, cover it on the podcast. And I'll do, like always, I'll do my best to keep y'all updated on the latest when it comes to this video game. Okay, before we talk about the college football playoff ranking, first let's talk about the game of the year over the weekend, the Iron Bowl. Before we start that, I'm going to shout out a couple people first of all, because I got invited to two Iron Bowl watch parties Saturday, and I didn't want to pick, I didn't want to pick, you know, one to go over the other one, so I decided to go to both of them. So first I want to shout out my friend Tracy, uh, he invited me over his house, he had, a, you know, he had friends over to watch the game, he had you know, pizza, beer, liquor, all that good stuff. Then when halftime came, I left and went to my my friend's AJ house. Shout out to my friend AJ and his family. They always treat me good when I head over there. And I went there to, wa to watch the remainder of the game. And what a game it was. It was a fantastic game. Probably the best Iron Bowl I've ever watched. Probably game of the year. Because if you would have told me the score would have been 48-45, I would have called you a liar to your face. Because my final score probably was probably in that... 28 24 tight range i remember when halftime hit it was i think 31 27 and i'm like 31 27 it's supposed to be the final score not the halftime score but first off like i, like I said i am an auburn fan but i'm going to be objective in this you know for the next few minutes but first off alabama you know they're a great team Saban's a good coach and when you beat a great team especially your rival 
This supposed to storm the field because people were saying it was classless that out that that Auburn stormed the field against Alabama. No, it's not classless. You know, you, you know, we just you know y'all just mad because Auburn stormed the field on your favorite team. That's that's what I got out of it. I understood if like the Auburn student fan base came down, they were hitting the Alabama players, calling them obscene names, but there was no articles of that that I can find. But you know, people are just too sensitive. You know, nowadays, like I said, people are just mad because they stormed the field against their team. And I'll be mad, too. I'm not going to lie. But uh, to me, storming the field is probably one of the best traditions in college football. I just like the time lapse they do, like when the, when the field is like, you know, just a regular football field. And they time lapse it to it being a sea of people on the field. I think it looks pretty cool. And, and this and that one makes college football great. But let's talk about the game. First off, this uh, you know, Mac Jones, he played a real good game as the Alabama, as the backup to Alabama. And he's probably going to be the starter next year if Tua doesn't come back. And you have Jalen Waddle. I mean, this man was unstoppable during this game. He had four total touchdowns, three receiving, one um, kick return. And this is supposed to be the, the third best receiver on the team because for the most part, Auburn focused their attention on Judy. And I think Judy only had like five receptions for 23 yards. And next is uh, Najee Harris. I, I want to I give the kudos to Harris because he came in the number one ranked player coming out of high school. You know, I think, yeah, he was the number one running back. And I think the number one player overall. And Saban was like, oh, you're, you're, the, number one, you're the number one high school player in the nation? Oh, that's cute. Now sit on the bench. Because the first year he sat behind uh, Damian Harrison and some other guy. Then last year he sat behind both Harris and Josh Jacobs, and usually you know when a when a player comes in they're highly touted. If they don't play in their first and second year, they're like, man, I'm the top guy coming in, and I'm on the bench, man, I'm gone, I'm transferring after this game. But I do give him a kudos for you know basically waiting his turn, uh, you know waiting his turn to show what he got, and he is a really good player, and he probably gonna be the featured back for Alabama, uh, Alabama next year, and you know usually when the game was over. And, you know, when Auburn beat Alabama, I did my favorite thing after an Alabama game. I went on social media to get the fan reactions. And one fan reaction caught my eye. Uh, it was one of my Auburn friends shared something. And one of an Alabama fan, I know the Alabama fan too, but I'm not going to say their names and incriminate them. Uh, but one of the Alabama fans said Auburn just got lucky. And after a statement like that, I like to have supporting details. You know, I, I don't like it when people just say, you know, insert team name here sucks. But why they suck? And they just say, because they do. Why? No, please, give me give me details why they suck. Is their defense overrated? Is the quarterback not that good? Is the coach not that good? I need details behind that statement. But uh, I'm going to give you details why Auburn wasn't lucky in this game. Three things changed the game for Alabama, from Alabama's favor, in my opinion. First was penalties. Penalties, they had 13 penalties. The most penalties under a Nick Saban coach, Bama team. And penalties are crucial. On offense, they kill drives, and on defense, they prolong drives. You know, if you're on offense, third and one becomes third and six. Third and nine becomes third and fourteen. And usually, more than likely, uh, you're more you're more likely to complete a third and one than a third. You know, than a third and six. And also, the the one penalty that negated the touchdown pass what was supposed to be Alabama's first touchdown pass. It's like a little 30 yard pass. I want to say it was to rugs, but it was negated by a holding penalty. So that's seven points. Now three points and a four point swing. But I do admit that Auburn shouldn't have kicked, shouldn't, shouldn't have had to been allowed to kick that field goal 
in the halftime. I'm being completely honest. I thought he was down. There was no time on the clock. I agree with you, Alabama fans, on that. Second, turnovers. Mac Jones had two interceptions. The first interception was completely his fault. He overthrew Jerry Judy uh, and hit the cornerback right in the hands. And the second pick, which is a series of unfortunate events. You know, Alabama was like on the Auburn 2, I want to say. Jones dropped back the pass. Auburn you know, had an unblocked blitzer coming off, so uh, Mac Jones had to get rid of the ball quickly. He's like, hey, he was either, hey, throw the ball away or take a sack. He threw it. You know, Najee, the play hasn't developed yet, so Najee Harris hasn't turned his back. Hit him on the hit him on the back. Auburn took, you know, Auburn caught it, ran it for a pick six. The play wasn't luck. Defense practice tip drills all the time. And lastly, the field goal, you know, field goal troubles. Since 2000, this is, a, this is a cool, not a cool stat. This is an interesting stat they they said after the game. Since 2007, uh, Saban's first year at Alabama, Alabama leads the nation in missed field goals with 101. And I just did my own research. I calculated every field goal kicker that attempted a field goal underneath Nick Saban at Bama. And after my calculations, it turns out usually the Alabama field goal percentage under Nick Saban tenure has been 57% and the NCAA average has been in the 70s. But I do give Alabama credit for still having a very successful program with this fall. And last week I stated that Ohio State and Michigan was the best rivalry in college football. I'll just do that on a tradition standpoint because, you know, they actually fight in their rivalry game and they hate each other so much they don't even mention their names. Michigan calls Ohio State that school down south. Ohio State called Michigan that school up north. But I have to amend that pick today because the Iron Bowl is hands down the premier rivalry in college football. Because over the last two decades, uh, since 2000, the Iron Bowl series has been 11-9 Auburn. And the Michigan-Ohio State game since 2000 has been Ohio State-Michigan, uh, Ohio State 17, Michigan 3. Which leads me to my hardball rant I've been wanting to do for a while. This man is getting away with murder, basically. This man is 0-5 against Ohio state you know, the premier rivalry in college football, he's allowing 44 points a game and 250 rushing yards during that game. And the last two outings, he is allowing 50-plus points against Ohio State. He's getting paid like a top-tier coach like a Nick Saban, Dabo Sweeney, uh, Jimbo Fisher, but he has no college football playoff appearances, no Big Ten titles, not even a Big Ten title game championship appearance. And Michigan is considered a blue blood, but not an elite program to me. Michigan and Texas are, you know, they're delusional. They're, they're delusional fan bases. They think they think of themselves as a top tier program, like in Ohio State and Alabama or Clemson. But to be honest, they're not. They're mediocre. You know, they're they're a big name, but as but recent history, they have been mediocre because this year was supposed to be the year that Jim Harbaugh was supposed to beat Ohio State. They got a new coach. They got a quarterback. Georgia said, "Nah, we good. Y'all can have him." But they, and they still got blown out. I just feel like he's getting too many passes. Uh, you know, he, he's getting too many passes. But that's my hardball rant. I finally got it off my chest. Now let's dive into these college football rankings. Okay. Uh, the last, you know, last Tuesday they announced it. Um, uh, number one, Ohio State. Two, LSU. Three, Clemson. Four, Georgia. Five, Utah. Six, Oklahoma. And then if you're curious. Auburn was at number 11, and Alabama dropped all the way to number 12. I can't lie. When I saw it, I was like, damn, because I thought Alabama was going to drop to like the 8, 9, 10 spot. It's weird seeing Alabama with a double-digit ranking next to them. I'm not going to lie. It's kind of weird. But like I said, it's championship game weekend. Um, I'm not going to do like 
I'm you know, no, no, these games I'm going to pick is not going to be to the pick'em record and my final college football pick'em record in the regular season. I want to get to 100 wins. I was so close. I was one win short of getting to 100 wins. I was 99 and 41. I, I want to thank Minnesota for losing that game to Wisconsin, ruining my 100 my 100 uh, games correctly picked. But um, I thought about it. I thought about doing a a college football bowl pick them because bowl season's around the corner. But I think that's like 40 games. I don't want to get on a segment and talk about 40 games. You know, try to say something nice about each team and pick a winner. That's just too much for me. But I am going to pick, of course, you know, the title game and the playoff games when that time comes around. But let's get into these uh, conference championship games. The first game is coming on uh, Friday. It's the Pac-12 championship game. We have fifth-ranked. Utah versus 13th ranked Oregon and Utah is a six point favorite in this game. This one was hard to pick. This I'm gonna say this in the big in the Big 12 title game was very hard to pick. You have Oregon who has a very good offense. You have Utah, a very good defense. So uh, you know, it's strength is strength on strength. What's what's that saying? The impowerful force meets the immovable object, or wherever that saying goes. Uh, but this game is being played in uh San Francisco, uh, the 49er stadium. Well, it's not technically in San Francisco. It's one of my pet peeves also. Uh, always bothers me that when a team is, like, in said city, but they play their games in another city. Like, you know, San Francisco, you know, the 49ers, but their stadium's in Santa Clara, California, which is, like, an hour south of San Francisco. And, like, the Giants, they play – the Giants and the Jets, they play they're, – they're the New York team, but they play in New Jersey. I don't know, just a pet peeve of mine. But this game, this was tough to pick. I have – I, I'm going with Utah in this game, but I feel like if Utah wins, they still not be, they still might not make the playoffs. But because I think the Big 12 champion is going to jump them, is going to jump them. But next, we're going to the the AC, the AAC, the American Athletic Conference. This is to determine, I assume, the group of six, uh, the highest ranked group of six, and they get to go to a New Year's Day game or a New Year's Six bowl game. We have 20th ranked Cincinnati versus 17th ranked Memphis. They just played each other last week, and Memphis won, I want to say, by like 10 or 14 points. Uh, this one's tough because it's at Memphis, so it's a home game. It's hard to beat a team twice twice in a season, especially two weeks in a row because the team that lost has the advantage because they could be like, okay, we did this wrong, this wrong, and this wrong. And the winning team's like, hey, we don't need to change nothing. We, uh, you know, we just do what we did last week. But I think this is going to be another close game. I think uh, Memphis is going to have the home field advantage. Uh, they're a nine-point favorite, so I got Memphis winning this game. Next is the ACC championship. We got 23-ranked Clemson versus 23-ranked um, Virginia versus third-ranked Clemson. And the spread for this game is just outlandish. Clemson's a 28-point favorite in the conference championship game, a 28-point favorite. Man, it's like, are they going to win by 28 points? I'm not going to be surprised if they win, but I'm going to roll with Clemson for this win uh, and solidify their playoff spot. And the Big 12, this game was probably the hardest to pick. You had Baylor versus Oklahoma. Oklahoma's a nine-point favorite in this game, being played in Dallas. Um, I know I wanted I wanted to pick Baylor so bad because I, I wanted them to somehow get Alabama and Oklahoma to play each other. But 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 Jalen Hurts is playing so many big games, you know, national championship games, Iron Bowls, LSU games, SEC championship games. So he's built for this. So I'm gonna roll with Oklahoma with the victory. 
in the Big Ten title game, we have Ohio State versus Wisconsin. Ohio or uh, number one ranked Ohio State versus eighth ranked Wisconsin. Ohio State is a is a sixteen point favorite. I think they're gonna. I think they're gonna. Uh, I think Ohio State just got too much offense, too much firepower for Wisconsin, and Wisconsin don't got the offensive firepower to keep up with that Ohio State defense. So I'm gonna roll with uh, Ohio State to win that game. And next we have LSU versus Georgia, fourth ranked uh, Georgia versus two LSU. LSU is favored by a touchdown, but I think this game's gonna be. I think the game's gonna be close at first. Um, but Georgia doesn't have enough firepower on off on a uh, offense. I think. DeAndre Swift is, is that's like a shoulder injury, and um, their receiver is out for the first half of fighting in the Georgia Tech game. But I think LSU is going to pull away late, so I got LSU. And now that I picked all the championship games, I think my final four is going to be revealed Sunday morning, and I'll talk about it on next week's episode. I think my final four is going to be – I think number one is going to be LSU because if they beat Georgia, they're going to jump Ohio State because they've been the higher-ranked team. And Ohio State's going to drop to number two. And then I got Clemson, number three, staying put. And I got Oklahoma, the Big 12 champ, jumping over Utah, the Pac-12 champ, to make it to the playoffs. So those are my top four teams I'm going to have to make the playoffs. LSU, Ohio State, Clemson, Oklahoma. Thank you for listening to another episode of High on Infinity. I greatly appreciate all the support I got throughout the duration of this podcast. Your likes, your shares, your retweets, your subscribes mean a lot to me. I just want to wish everybody to have a great weekend. Also, remember to follow me on Instagram and Twitter at SoYamAsian. Y'all have a nice one. See y'all next week.